Welcome to Blood and Spirit, the podcast for Black families evolving. I'm your host, Njamile Ali, and my guest today is Michael Harper. Michael is an Albany, Georgia native and well-known as the brother who does the drum circles. He also does construction with a special interest in historic preservation based on his avid love for history. Welcome to Blood and Spirit Podcast, Brother Michael. Thank you. So we just talked about uh, what was your favorite non-alcoholic drink, and that's something that I like to talk to my guests about because I think there's a whole lot of culture wrapped up in the things that we drink. And you told me that you have started to have, um, uh, what is it? Uh, What's your drink that you do every, twice a day now? Turmeric. 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 Turmeric tea that I make. Right. So tell me about that. How did that get started? Uh, I have to have a hip replacement and because of my arthritis. And uh, part of arthritis is inflammation. So the doctor had me on a pain management and a, uh, something to help, help me with inflammation. And it was okay. And I ran across a friend of mine, you probably know her, Irma Wilburn. And our armor was telling me about this stuff called turmeric. I'm like, okay. So I did a little investigation. Then when it said anti-inflammatory, I'm like, I got to try this. So I got it from in the root form. Mm-hmm. And um, we tried, first I tried chewing it. It's a very bitter taste. I'm like, I can't do this. So I ended up, ended up doing, I take it and I put it in a blender. And then I, I put it in hot water and let it seep the nutrients and the flavor out of it. Mm-hmm. And then I started drinking it. The part, the residue that's left over, I still don't throw that away. I mm-hmm. mix that with my oatmeal. Awesome. When they don't look like, I don't want to get Since the juice do that good, I don't want But anyway, so uh, so what I did, I started drinking. And then I was an improvement in my condition of my hip because I'm so many inflammation was going on. So I was talking to my doctor about it. There was two things I want to do. Uh, I told him I did not want a narcotic. In order to help me manage my pain, I didn't want a narcotic. Yeah. He's a mic that's hard to do because most of the inflammation medicine is combined with a narcotic painkiller. So uh, when I was talking to him, he says, well, if you think the turmeric is doing you good, I can give you a non-narcotic painkiller, which is, is, not, is not as good as a narcotic, but I'm like, well, okay. So where I'm at now, I'm taking the non-narcotic uh, pain reliever and I'm drinking two cups of turmeric a day. And uh, I can just... The inflammation, not only in my hip, I believe in other parts of my body, but especially as my hip is, is tremendously reduced. That is such and, a good news. And once it, once it, the pain level drops. Yes, sir. Uh-huh. Because I guess, now I, I can only guess that a lot of that pain, the two sources of pain was in the hip joint, in the ball, uh, that, 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 uh, that barrier has is, got is wore out spots. Mm-hmm. But the most of the pain comes from inflammation. And that camera reduced the inflammation and dropped the pain level. Well, that that is a wonderful uh, tip for a lot of people because we have so many hip replacements mm-hmm. being done around Albany, Georgia, um, and we'll talk about what where that comes from, what that's all about mm-hmm. at another time. But that's a good clue. And now uh, I grow my own. You grow your own turmeric. Yes. Get when out. When you get the root, it's got these little modules on it. These not not modules, nodules on it. Then you take it. And you just you just plant it. Now, someone told me that it needs to go about two years. Well, in about three or four months, mine will be a year old. Okay. So I said, what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to take most of it and let it go for the other two years. 
but I'm going to take a section of it and I'm going to use it now. Right, right, right. You know, I'm use now. Then I can know what I can go to use. That that is a source to have, but like anything else, it costs. But uh, but yeah, so I, I started my own little. So what, are garden. you growing it in the ground or in, in, a pot in a pot or what? Well, I grow it in a pot because my hip I can't get to the ground. Uh huh. So I got me a little bench and I got some. Uh, I started with big old pots, and then as I as I dealt with it, I, now I use these smaller pots, tray pots. Mm-hmm. About you know, you get about four. Did you build those? No, I I bought those. Okay. Uh, because if I use if you use dirt, I mean I would have to use treated wood. Treated right. wood has chemicals in right. it. Right, right. And cedar was too expensive. Yes. So I just bought some uh, some rain gutters. Ah. And I use rain gutters. See, see, that's the construction man. You know how to mm-hmm. repurpose uh, some some very common yep. items and and make them work for you. That is so interesting. I'm so glad we found out about that. And and let's talk about that other great thing that you are known so so well for in Albany, African drumming. Oh. How did that come about? That was one of the first things I learned about you um, when I found out that you you know are live in Albany, that uh, that you do the drumming, and I participated in a couple of your drum circles. Mm-hmm. So how did that come about? How did you come to learn African drumming? It- African drumming was a part of my uh, alcohol drug rehabilitation. Uh-huh. Before then, I've always had a love for African artifacts. So I had African artifacts, and amongst my artifacts was uh, a couple of djembe drums. But they were just artifacts to mm-hmm. me. And I remember seeing uh, Baba Alatunde, uh, Michael Baba Alatunde, uh, who's a master drummer from Senegal. I remember seeing him play it one time. And he took the djembe and he put it on top of his head. He had to have been 60 years old. Wow. And he was dancing <laughs> and with the djembe on his first he was playing the djembe and then he took it to balance on his head. He was dancing. I'm like, man, that old man can do that. And I, and I got a drum just like it. So I, then I started playing the drum. Shortly after that, when I went into drug rehabilitation. And when I got out of drug rehabilitation, you're going through all these uh, different a and stuff like that. And at the same time, I would be drumming. And I slowly began to be cognizant of how I felt while I was drumming. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. While, how I felt how I was drumming. And then when you go through narcotics and numbers, we talk about trying to get to a certain place mm-hmm. within your psyche that you're comfortable. Uh, especially like when you get in, when you feel like what we call stinking thinking. Okay. You're, you're backing up into the old stuff. You try to find this place to where you can you can sit and relax and just stop. Mm-hmm. And that place was similar to a spot that I was playing while I was drumming. Mm-hmm. Now this is where the drum circle come from. When I'm doing African drumming, um, that's a communal thing. We all we got regimented spots. We got timing. We got to stick to that drumming. But when you're at the house practicing by yourself then, you know, you don't have to follow a lead. Yes. And you have an ability to get more introspective. And so I, I, real, I started realizing I, I'm finding that spot, not while I'm doing the African drumming, but when I'm drumming by myself. That eventually led to drum circles. I, I didn't discover drum circles, but I remember I was up in Charlotte, North Carolina, I think it was 91 or 92. And this was, you know, some, I was at the park, there was some folks drumming. And I went over there and listened to it a little while. And then I was drumming with them. I'm like, oh, wait a minute. I've been doing this for years. And so then I was able to put a name to what they called it, drum circles. But drum circles was an integral part of my recovery 
and my continued recovery because it allows me to retreat to a place that I can heal, not only from my recovery, but other, other, other issues that I have. So it's a form of meditation for it's you? It's a form of meditation. Can you, can you describe that place that you arrive at? It has different levels. It has different phases. Sometimes it's like you're, I'm, I'm just alone mm. by myself. Uh, and then other times when I'm drumming, and I'm at that spot, I remember things in life, mm -hmm. events in life, positive things and events in life. I remember, I, I, I sometimes think about relatives that are no longer with us. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was like three different places. Number one, like I'm totally alone mm -hmm. in, 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 in a time where, you know, I'm happy, a time when I can meet with my ancestors, mm -hmm. uh, in time flight to date. Uh, had I not been running today, rushing today, I usually get up and drum every morning. That kind of sets my day. Yes. And I try to drum at nighttime because we have, I have different rhythms. Some, I got a rhythm to wake me up and I got a rhythm to go <laughs> to bed. So uh, had I not been running this morning, because I had to be the doctor at 8, 8.45, I would have drummed this morning and that would have set the mentality for that day. I hear you. That would have set the mentality for that day. I hear you. And so it's, it's involved now. You're like, uh, I was talking to my, I got to call my daughter tonight. We got something to talk about. I'm like, also, I can need to be very patient with her on this because I know what her mind is. I know what my mind is. Right. I got to be very open and calm. So I got a certain kind of drumming that I'm going to do to prepare me to talk to her. That's so beautiful. Uh, are there any particular African traditions that you connect with? Are they like some particular rhythms from different nations and like that? Yes, it's primarily, you know, there's, there's some Indian uh, uh, rhythms that in the process. Well, when I first started, it was just African rhythms, mm -hmm. uh, which is what they call 4-4. Four, four. Most music, most non-European music is 4-4. Four, four. Mm -hmm. uh, most continents that have a early African presence, even though they don't want to call them African, right. are full four. Most European countries, and it's very general now. Yeah. Most European companies are six eight. It's it's a different it's it's a, it's yes. a different timing, and uh, some of them even call it five seven. But it's off. Not that one is better than the other. So I have there is a lot of places where four four is prevalent. Most of those places are associated with geographical places around the equator. Okay. Most trees, most hard trees grow around the equator. Mm -hmm. Most drums that I'm talking about, Jim Bates, are made of hard wood. And so what's the primary color of the people around the equator? Dark skinned folks, black people. Black people, and what rhythm do they play? Four, four. 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 Gotcha. So I'm like, do Zilla. I'm like, well, what? that sounds kind of like, you know, like, and so then I started to look at those different peoples and I hear their rhythm and I see the similar, I hear the similarities. Mm -hmm. I, I hear the similarities. And, uh, but mostly I, I deal with, with, with African rhythms. Now, African rhythms do not necessarily break it down. African rhythms are communal, it's mostly communal music. Mm -hmm. It's communal music. Everybody get, you know, you got three djembe's, generalists, but you got three djembe's, one was a lead djembe, the other two are melodies. You got three, uh, three doodle bars, 
So you got six people on both sides. And each one has his, his rhythm he has to hold in place. And each one can go out and do solo and come back. So that's a communal thing. Mm -hmm. Within that communal drumming, there is individual drumming, but you can't access it while drumming in the communal okay. atmosphere. And so why I think drum circle came from, commercial drum circle exists. Somebody realized, okay, you know, I get very real, real calm and smooth while I'm doing this alpha drumming sometimes. What if I pull this out? So what I think happened was they just stripped all the traditions off of African drumming. And you ended up with this ability, this individual ability that's catered to you. I remember that when um, in, in being involved in one of the drum circles, and I remember that place that you're talking about, um, it's a very, it's a calm place and it's an expressive place too. Mm -hmm. And you get to express in the context of the community. It's a, it's a really fabulous uh, metaphor for, for being an individual in community. Yes. You know, and, and I really enjoyed that, that time and that space. So, and it's do just, you... It's the thing about drum circle is this. It has a duality appeal. You can get into drum, number one, there's no skill required, just the willingness to share. And so you can be in there sharing with the group, but you can also enjoy your individuality at the same time. Because you're no longer concerned about how we sound. Right. It's about how you feel. Right. Right. I remember that was that was in a, a very, very enjoyable process. And I do hope that um, I didn't get to come to a whole lot of them because I was, you know, I'm always in school or something like that. And but I, I do hope that uh, you'll be able to start those back up sometime. I'm, 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 I'm thinking about it. I have developed the drum circle. I, I drum with Aspire. Um, uh, um, a lot of drug rehabilitation people now. Mm -hmm. uh, Aspire, what's the other name? Uh, NAMI, National Association of Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. uh, 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 people that deals with um, people that deal with autism, mm -hmm. uh, and because they are now realizing the psychological benefits of it. The the last unique thing I did was um, drum with a deaf group. Oh man! And uh, because of the vibrations, and I'm like, you know, I don't know how that's how that's going to work. I don't, you know, they can't hear me. It's right about the second time I designed a stage. Uh, it was like a little a box that I built, plywood, and but I only had a, a like little legs on the interior of it, so that it wouldn't sink in. Mm -hmm. But it was like a hollow box that conveyed the vibrations. Yes, yes. And so what we do, they, we would take our shoes off and our socks off that our feet was in direct connection with the floor. Mm -hmm. And then what I would do, I would put a gag on my mouth so I couldn't talk because they can't hear. And see, that would force me to be more on their level. Because mm -hmm. I, would, I, would I, would, I would start talking and they like, yeah, unless they can, unless they can, some can, some are very good lip readers, but some are. But it's like they look at it, man, he forgot we can't hear. So I would come in with my mask on my mouth and, and, and we would just play and they would just follow the rhythm and we would feel it through our feet. And then I took my, my I did the same thing with them. And uh, because when I told them to do it, they were like, okay, we do it. But I wasn't taking my suit off. Mm -hmm. And so they basically took me with my, 
you're not experiencing what we're experiencing. I'm like, you're right. So I took my 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 shoes off, and what happens is that sometimes when I do the drum circle with them, I do not speak at all. I just lay the rhythm out, and then we start from there. And how do they respond? What what do you hear of their response? It's more in their drumming. Uh, some of them, not only do they not hear, but especially the, the ones that never was able to hear. Then their their tonal, the way they talk is kind of different. I mean, of their drumming. What, oh, what, yeah, what, they, they, can, they can feel, you can actually feel the vibrations. Mm -hmm. A little bit of tweaking, but then again, like I say, it's like when we hear, it's, you're not required to play exactly what I play. It's how you feel. So they don't have to play. Then they can feel the basic vibration in their feet. They don't have to match exactly what I'm doing. Just like when we play, you don't have to match exactly what you're hearing. Yes. They don't have to play exactly what they're feeling. And that's also is a part of drumming. Drum circles, it's not about matching. Again, it's about how you feel. And so if they're playing and they're feeling good about how they're playing, I let it, I let it flow. And just like people that hear, they, they, they might start out right about the while, I'm licking, maybe I'm a little bit slower than you. Maybe I'll speed up, or maybe you'll speed up. And because we're in a circle, eventually they will get to where they they, they are. You know what? In fact, I don't see a lot of difference in between their ability to come together and play the same rhythm yeah. as the different we who do have here. That's wonderful. And did uh, were they able to communicate to you um, other than through the actual drumming? How they felt, what they experienced, how they enjoyed that. Um, they, you know, with the people at the center, did they uh, communicate via sign language or? Uh, yeah, we, have, we have interpreters, but again, uh, drumming is about feeling. I can sense. I can sense how they feel. I can sense their appreciation. Um, we hug, we shake hands. Yes. I look at the smiles on their face. Mm -hmm. I look at them as they grow as drummers, you know, and you have to learn to, 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 to uh, respect or accept people's feelings at their own level. Right. Like me, you know, I hear and everything, I'm used to folks saying thank you, thank you, thank you. Well, in that culture, it's not thank you, thank you, thank you. It's an expression on their face. It's in the warmth of their hugs. It's in how they how they shake hands. Because this one dude, he's he's got he's kind of very introverted. And what developed? We're talking about six or seven months now. It's his handshake. I remember mm -hmm. when we first it was like, okay, how you doing? Mm -hmm. And now he's like, the way he shakes my hand is softer. It's not as hard. Uh, he doubles the hand up. Yeah. He might he might do like this, you know. Mm -hmm. That's his class both hands together. Yeah, class together, shake it. Well, he put it to his heart. So that's how he expresses it. Uh, you know, so I've learned to accept that expression. That's one dude, he'll get his drum up and he he leave at the end of the day. Well, I know that, uh, you know, every time I come into your presence, you're teaching. So, you know, as a teacher, you are excellent. And, and it sounds like you're taking that to a, a really, really wonderful level so have you ever uh, made a drum have you ever built one from scratch no i've never built one well i built one drum from scratch and this was even before i got into drumming really i was working at Procter and gamble and we had a hydraulic cylinder that picked, that you used to pick trunk, trucks up like that mm -hmm. inside a hydraulic cylinder is a synthetic ring that's about half inch thick it's, it's like white plastic mm -hmm. it's about 12 inch diameter but it's tall 
And I'm like, yeah, I might be able to make me a drum. So I got that. I got that. It was part of Rick Perry. They were going to throw it away. I cut it down. And, and I got some cowhide and put it away. I still got that drum. Mm-hmm. It don't sound. It was, <laughs> but, but it was my first drum. Uh, I have not made a drum, but I repair drums. Uh-huh. I maintain and repair drums. Okay. Uh, you use the, the goat hide? Yeah, goat, well, goat hide, cow hide, different. I pretty much stay with goat, with goat and cow. Mm-hmm. Because and a lot of people they say they use horse hide and they use mule hide and deer hide, but uh, I'm not into that experience. Experimenting in the African tradition, they either use uh, goat or and I say goat, young goat, calf, and cow. Mm-hmm. Calf being the baby, right. the baby cow, which which is a little bit thicker than the goat, uh, but it is thicker. And you, when you come to the dundons, the two-headed drums, those are mostly cow. Okay. And so I pretty much stick with those. But every drum, every African-based drum that I have, I repair. Uh, I got a couple I'm working on now. I break, I break everything down. I sand it. Um, I, 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 I anoint it with oils. Mm-hmm. I put new rope on it, new skin on it, new rings on it. So mm-hmm. every time I rebuild it, it's a brand new drum. That is awesome. So that's kind of an expression of your other, your just general love for history, which you've told yeah. me about as well, and which you and, have expressed in so many ways throughout your life. And my drums have names. And they have names. They have names. Okay. Most of the names of people that meant something, most of the names are ancestors and belong to people, either mm, family mm, members mm, mm. or people who had an impact on my life. Wow. But, but they're, they're mostly just, uh, I got one drum that names changes. And that changes. it changed. It started changing when I started having grandchildren. Mm-hmm. You know, when I started having grandchildren, I only got three. But then, it, so when I had the first grandchild, and then it was like eleven years for my daughter had another kid. So for eleven years, you know, it was it was her name it was Kamaya. Then she had twins, oh. Lauren and Aiden. Mm-hmm. So then that one drum had two names, uh, and the rest of my drums are named after ancestors. That, that, that has to be such a powerful way to honor your ancestors, to remember your ancestors, and to get into that space on a daily basis. That, uh, that's phenomenal. You know, there are certain, it, it, it just, it, it's nothing I developed, it's something that occurred over a number of years that I, I, I have ancestor worship, generically speaking, that's what came out of the country about. Ancestor yes, worship. Absolutely. A lot of times people see masks and say, oh, them Africans, they, they, celebrate, they celebrate all those gods. They, the masks are not gods, statues are not gods. They believe in it, uh, what they call uh, theology, is, is uh, monism, monotheism. Yes. You got one God. But just like Christianity, they think that African, you cannot talk to your God. So we use the masks to talk to our ancestors who talk to the God. Uh-huh. Just like on, 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 with Moses, he didn't talk to God. He talked to the burning bush. Uh-huh. See, so uh, so that's what the masks are. That you know, and and and, and so and so it all this kind of ties all back to my love of Africa, African culture, uh, and 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 the answer and what's called ancestor worship. Um, I got a my 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 email name is Malsa Maylies, mm-hmm. and that is my daddy's nickname was Malsa, and my mother's nickname was Maylaza. Her uh-huh. name, her real name was uh, Mary Elizabeth, and the country folks broke it down to Mayliza. <laughs> Facebook wouldn't give me Mayliza, so I had to end up with Mayliza. Okay. And so that's their name, Malsa Mayliza. 
And people always tell me, look at that long old name, the <laughs> ebook name. I'm like, well, hey, you know, this, that's what it's going to be. So a lot of things that I do, I tie it because I think that even, even my, the love for history, yes. it's, it's the same thing. Tell me about that. There's a lot of things you can say, like uh, a tree with no found, uh, a house built on the sandy foundation, uh, a tree built on sand. If you, got, you have to know where you go, where you came from in order to know where you're going. Of course, if you don't know where you came from, you just got to do the best you can to go yes. from where you want to go. But we need to know where we came from. We need to know that we did not start as slaves in America. Absolutely. That's where the education system starts up there. We did not start as slaves in America. And then to make it so we started as Africans that were enslaved and bought here. They didn't go to Africa to take slaves. They went to Africa and they kidnapped thriving, successful people and bought them in here and traumatized them to make them act like slaves. Right. A lot of those people did not accept it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm a slave, but I'm not a slave. And uh, a lot of times it's how people got two faces. I got a face with muscle, and I got my face. Those are the ones, they were enslaved, but they were not slaves. And I think that a lot of that two mentalities came out of slavery. The ones who capitulated, so I'm just a slave, and the ones who know I've never been a slave. Mm -hmm. A good example is this, the AME Church. Mm -hmm. the, AME church was, the AME Church was one of the first integrated white churches. So when I integrated, they allowed blacks to worship inside the building. You mean in the the, the Methodist church before yeah. the AME yeah, separated? Yeah, before they separated the Methodist church, I'm sorry. And then once they made the separate, well, you know, they tried to throw them out of the church, and then that group of blacks said, we're going to leave. And um, yet then they split up the two sexes. One sex said, you know, we're going to start a church just like the Methodist churches, and they called it Colored Methodist because Everything was the same, except for the color. And the other section said, you know what? If we are exactly like the Methodist Episcopal Church, then that means we can mess around there and treat somebody like they treated us. Wow. So what we want to do, we want to change that theology a little bit. They became the African Methodist Episcopal. The, the, the Richard other, Allen group. Yes, and the other one was the colored Methodist Episcopal. Have they survived? I have not heard about them lately. The African Methodists. No, the colored. I know the African. Yeah, yeah the colored, they're still the around. They, 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 didn't, they didn't have as much success. They didn't have as much success as the African Methodists. And I have my opinion about that. The Methodist Church, it was important to them that the color, the CME Church survived. Mm -hmm. It's important for them. Because if they didn't survive, then it's like, well, you know, the AME had the right thing anyway. So, so financially, they made sure that the colored Methodists survived. The African Methodist was out there on their own. And so now today, there's still a close relationship between the colored Methodists, the, the, the CME, and, and, and the regular uh, Methodist Church. I don't know what the financial uh, relationship is, but I imagine it's just as close as it was back in the day. So with you, you have, you've talked about so many things right now, you know, just in these past few minutes, if I could, you know, to, to go back and unpack everything uh, that you dropped so far would, would really, we would be here, you know, a large part of the day. But, uh, but one of the threads, your love for history is the thread that's running through all of this. Where did that come from? And, and do you remember when it started? 
do I, I exactly? I don't know, but I think I, I think I, I I got a good idea. My father was in the Air Force, and of, of my twelve years in high school, I spent nine years in predominantly white schools, and only three in in, in, in predominantly black schools. And so those nine years, we were pretty much segregated. Not a lot of people. And my father made a point that we always had a a, a set of mechanical encyclopedias. Mm -hmm. You remember those? I, I mean, remember. they was like it was like computers. Right. You had the encyclopedia. <laughs> you had all the world, the world famous literature. You had any you know, a book that get all kind of measurements. Everything in the school was, and and they made that they made those a new set every two years. Mm -hmm. So every year, every two years, my dad was getting a new set. Later on, before he passed, he, he joked about it. He says he never paid for a set because you'd be paying for the set. And before you right. had to pay for <laughs> you got the other set. So you're coming out of like, my parents' house. Like a house, computer update. Yeah, you come to my parents' house. In the living room, that would be a set of encyclopedias. Pristine. We couldn't even look at them. Then in, 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 in the den, now, there was a set that we could use. And that set, that, was, that, that set would be four years old. Then back in the other day where we hung out at, that was a set, was the third, but six years old. We could do anything with it we want to. Wow. You could cut pictures out of school projects, stuff like that. So that developed a love for reading. Yeah. You gotta remember back then, you only had TV, you only had ABC, CBS, and NBC. So TV was not an option back then. And so that created a love of reading for me. Mm-hmm. The part about history, I think that was natural because in some of my earliest memories, I remember an uncle of mine, uh, Willie J. McKinley. He was an alcoholic drunk, but he was a storyteller. Oh. And he would tell the stories. Now, he was not a blood relative, but he would tell the stories of his relatives. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember when he, when he kind of, and this is, this is Monday morning quarterbacking, when he saw that I liked his stories, then he started to incorporate stories of my family within his story. He was married to my aunt, my mother's youngest sister, my mother's sister. And so once he saw that I liked his stories, he would start telling stories that involved my mother. Okay. And, and, and her side of the family. So he's the family grill. Yes. He was, <laughs> unfortunately, un, yeah, yeah, he, he was the family grill, but he was alcoholic. Mm -hmm. And so he, Back then, it was, he was like a lower level. But when you're young, I, I didn't know nobody no alcoholic. All I know was he had these wonderful stories. Right, right. And I think that he was the one that nurtured that, 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 nurtured that little flame he saw. Yes. And then those stories he told me. And then he would, he would actually, you know, I, don't, I don't know about your dad. You tell me a story about it. <laughs> like, I can't talk so nurturing about your capacity to yes. tell stories as well. And so I think telling stories started it all, even today. Uh, I have stories about all of my family members. That's so Sometimes good. it gets them upset. But I was able to remember those things. Do you write them down? I got a bunch of them written down. You know, I also do genealogy. You know, I'm going to get to that. Yo, yo, and so, yeah, <laughs> I, I, got, I got it written down. I'm, I'm, I am, and I'm always... When I was when I first uh, started with my mother, one thing I would, she used to have all these little sayings, and I would write her little sayings down. Mm -hmm. And then once the computer came around, I was able to add them to that. She loved little sayings, you know. Uh, but yeah, I have a I have a book, well, not a physical book, uh, a book on the computer, 
that has all my family stories. What I have to do now is merge them. I would sit down one time and I would take my sister Marion and I would write things about her life. Mm -hmm. And then my brother Bobby, who's gone, and my sister Debbie, who's gone. Mm -hmm. And then I'm at the point now and I need to merge those different timelines into each other. That is, this is exactly, you're saying exactly what, you know, I want to help communicate with mm -hmm. our listeners. The, the facility, the capacity to, to get those stories down. Even if we can't find out, you know, which village in Africa our ancestors mm -hmm. came from, going forward, we can provide a beautiful, wonderful, very large database of mm -hmm. who we are for our oncoming generations. And so, so right now you have those uh, just on computer. Are you planning to do anything more with that? Uh, it was not my initial, okay, what, what I have to build, I, got, I, I did it once, is I have, I'll probably spend six or $700 a year on membership in different genealogical societies, mm -hmm. publishing societies. Mm -hmm. I can go to my computer right now and put, punch some names in and they will kick out all the information that I have according to the names and timelines that I put in. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and I've actually went and had Ancestry.com produce me a book not a not a hard bound book like that, but it, it, it wasn't paperback of 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 my family tree. Mm -hmm. uh, plus, each time each time that was, like if you were on there, that's a spot for me to put your stories in there. Mm -hmm. You know, and I could tell them to come in and, and produce just just your timeline and your stories. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that it does kind of lead to issues because you know other people do not remember it the way you remember exactly. it exactly. Right, <laughs> and you so, know, so yeah, you need to go ahead and change that. Or that didn't happen. Uh, one of the big things that, that ran across it, you know, I'm going to share this was that my family had a lot of uh single female had children before they were they were out in life, and uh, they did not like that to be known, or sometimes the father was or whatnot was or was not known. Uh, and I had been able to dig these names up. Mm -hmm. And I had one relative, hey, no, no, no. everybody knows I'm just the one putting it on paper. But if you're sitting there, on the one hand, you say, I'm proud of all of my children. I got all her children. She came up, Mount Zion Gardens. Mm -hmm. Now she's got a doc, she got her degree in education. Then the next degree, what is it, doctor degree? And she's been working 30 years with the school system, but all her kids are successes. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to tell her that. Her upbringing, the trials and tribulations she went through having been a single mother is what gave her the groundwork to produce all these successful children. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can't be ashamed of your root if you're proud of the fruit. Yes. And so I'm kind of getting to her a little bit. Okay. But then on the same hand, I got, the, I got the, okay, I'm not going, and this is the problem I got. Okay, I'll, I'll take this out. But I know who that child's daddy is. Mm -hmm. And so what do I do? Do I put it down that secret somewhere? Or? Now that, that right there, um, issues like that, family secrets. Um, a lot of times they come out of, um, out of things that people are ashamed of, feel they shouldn't have done, or somebody else feels that they shouldn't have done. So they keep it a secret. And that, that blocks our way from knowing who we are fully. And I'm of the opinion that the more you know, the better. 
Yes. And you can make a decision about the things that you want to keep, the things that you don't want to keep, but they can illuminate who you are with some of those impulses that you don't know, well, where is this coming from? And you have a sense of where they came from. And, and for, for us humans, knowing, just knowing makes a huge difference. And then we can make a decision. It's like having a diagnosis, mm-hmm. you know, um, from a doctor. For some people, it's like, okay, now, that it, it, I'd rather know than not know. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it provides you with the, now you, you have something to stand on. And you can go forward either, the, you know, change that, evolve that. And that's what this is about, evolving Black families. Mm-hmm. And we can do that best if we have knowledge and, and appreciate every aspect of where we came from. So I really, I appreciate you telling that story because it really advances the whole point of uh, why, we, why we're here. So, so when you started with, with stu- actually studying genealogy, where did you begin? How did you start to, did you start with your own family to, yeah. to search out your history and you, and you just kind of pieced it together? Or, you know, tell us how Monday morning quarterback, you know, Monday morning quarterback in here, uh, I made a lot of mistakes. You always start with yourself. Then you go to the eldest relative that you have. Hallelujah. That's important. I didn't do that. So, but then again, people should not have to make mistakes that I made. You start with yourself, put everything you know down. Then you go to the elder because statistically speaking, they're gonna, you know, the time's gonna come for them to make their transition. However, they might be kicking dirt in our face though. Right. <laughs> but you go to the elders, and you take that information, you talk and you take that information down. That in itself, that was one of the hardest things, like with my father. Growing up, he was born in 1923, died, died in 1999. That was a hard times in, 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 uh, in, uh, in Calhoun County, Georgia. He did not like these. There ain't nothing to talk about. All the peanut meal and the hard work. He, he, he didn't even like to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so it took years. As he got older, I think he started to see the importance of sharing that information. I would like to say that it was because I just stayed on him. I think one of the two. I stayed on persistently about him about it. And as, as an elder, as he became more elder, he started to see, to see the value of it also. Mm-hmm. And he slowly started to, to open up to me. But you have to start with the elders uh, because they have the, the, the father's memory. Yes. And you just come back down that line. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I first started out, all you had was papers. And then once the computer came up, then you had like Word. You mm-hmm. start out. And then along comes Ancestor.com. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that, was, that was a trend maker. I remember I had a, a, a box, a couple boxes just stick. And like then, like those um, the stationary boxes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. File just paper paper paper, and then and after after the computer came with ancestor.com, two disc, <laughs> all the information. But today, it's like this. People, I don't know if I want to pay this money to pay this money to do this. This is what I tell people right now. Just do what I said. Put out all the information you, you know. Put out all the information you can. Because you'll have questions to ask the elders. Then you go talk to the elders. Then you go to the library. Mm -hmm. Because the library gives you free access to Ancestry.com. Okay. Now, you can't, at my house, I have Ancestry.com and I save the information to my computer. Then I figure this out. If you, you can do the same thing. When you go to the library, 
you access and this search library got four computers dedicated to genealogy. Take your thumb drive mm -hmm. and you pull the information up, you put that thumb drive in there and you save everything to your thumb drive. Mm -hmm. Then when you come back, you, you bring your thumb drive with you and you can do the same thing that I do at my computer at the house. But it costs you nothing but the cost of it. And you get a thumb drive at the library for four or five bucks. Oh, really? I didn't know they, they sell so, them right there. They sell them right there. And, and, and so that's why I try to, when people ask me about, oh, you got to do this, you got to do that. So I, I, I know a cheap way, four or five dollars for that little thumb drive, six dollars, mm -hmm. you can get started. Now, you told me that um, that you're working on getting your family's, your family reunion every couple of years. Mm -hmm. How, how do y'all um, get together nowadays? Unfortunately, um, this new generation is not responding to family reunions like we did. Mm -hmm. And um, so what I do is this, I use the internet. I just had a second cousin that was born about three weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Well, actually, I found out about three weeks ago. She was actually about two months old when I found out about it. What I have is this. I have I have a running date of everyone in my family. When you say a running date, what do you mean? I, I can tell you, I can go on my computer and tell you who's the youngest child okay. in our family tree. You just keep it, you're keeping all the records. Yeah. And I asked them that when that child is born, I, I, I was upset with them. I said, you know, this child is you know, two months old and I'm just not finding out about it. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. that allows me to be able to put out for one thing, put out happy birthday yeah. celebration every month because part of my computer, it would kick out every month. The birthdays, weddings, graduations, whatever I ask my computer to do, extract the information from my database, it will. Mm -hmm. And so what I do now, I use that to keep my family connected. Mm -hmm. Because before then, I was, I was one, of the, one of the big boys as far as running reunions. And um, I remember the last one we had was in 2008. I was in Charlotte, North Carolina. And my daddy died in 99. He said, well, Mike, I guess this will be the, well, before he died, we had a reunion in 97, 98. He said, I guess it'll be the last reunion we got. And mm -hmm. I'm like, no, daddy, it won't be. <laughs> and so when he died in 99, about 2000, 2001, I tried to pull a family reunion. It didn't kick off with all the men for some reason. All my daddy's brothers and all my brothers, we got together and we had a little, I called it a Harper reunion light. Okay. <laughs> and so in, in 2008, I was in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I had a reunion there. I chose Charlotte while I was staying there, plus the people from north, from the north could come to Charlotte, and the people from the south could come. So everybody had to drive a little bit. Mm -hmm. That was the last one that we had. And so I kind of turned it over to the young generation. Mm -hmm. And they just they just never picked the ball up. So I came behind them a couple of times and tried to, to try to get it rolling, but it, it just never did catch on. And so then I started to lean more towards the genealogy. So your electronic record is probably something that the young folks in your family would, would uh, gravitate to yeah. more so. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think every family has to find out, you know, what's the energy of their family and whatever you do, you know, be able to pass that on. Mm -hmm. And uh, you seem like you you found some some really creative ways to do that, you know, with, um, mm -hmm. you know, it, 
with something as simple as you know just going to the library i mean which is really creative in in, yeah. <laughs> in 2019 Very you know and because just the notion of walking into a library i mean it's a it's a very i probably very underutilized resource i know it's underutilized by me because uh, i'll hop onto uh onto a, onto google in a heartbeat and um and learn you know mm -hmm. just everything is at your fingertips but the library it, it's a wonderful place to actually to be in and and as you said they have that uh genealogy center and google on the, the computers most of the information on the computer comes from the library mm -hmm. and, uh, and, and that's only a small fraction of what's in the library that's only a small fraction i was in the, you know i do the thing with the graves and um i was in the library one day and that was a, a file that was open, a big file cabinet was open. I said, what is that? I went to close it. I saw something said Darty County. So I pulled it out, looking through it, I looked into it. And back in the late, late 70s, late early 80s, somebody got a grant to identify all the African-American graves in Albany, Darty County. Mm -hmm. And so I, I got them like, whoa. And so I really had not thought about doing that. I had an interest, well, yeah, I was interested in poems. But once I saw that, you know, while dealing with poems, that's when I noticed that I was like, we don't have a lot of blacks there. Where did black people, where were black people buried? Mm -hmm. Then once I saw that folder that somebody had a grant to do it, then that told me about all these cemeteries in Darnley County. Mm -hmm. Back before 1965, that was no place in Albany for blacks to be buried. Before 1965? Before 1965. Uh, because the only cemetery we had was... Um, Riverside? Oh, not even Riverside. Riverside didn't start to ride off its segregation. Well, let me let me back up. Uh, Oakdale was there. That was a white cemetery. Yeah, the Jewish cemetery. You had a couple of the white cemeteries. Mm -hmm. Oakdale had a little side, little, little bit of section in the back called Riverside mm -hmm. that the favorite colored people could be buried at. Mm -hmm. Preachers and part of businessmen. Well, my aunt Susan, you know, the, yeah, Stella buried that because she was a maid in our family for X thousand years. Just a little bit of small section that blacks could be buried at, but Oakdale could still say they were segregated because it wasn't part of Oakdale. Mm -hmm. So up until the, the early 60s, when the immigration started to kick in, that was no place in Albany other than a little bit for a black person to be buried. Before then, in a black, most black people in Albany had an association with a church in the county, mm -hmm. or they went to church in the county. Most black churches in the county had cemeteries because they knew the black folks couldn't help. So you would have an association with someone in the, in the county, a county church. So when you died, you were buried at that county cemetery. Mm -hmm. So here comes integration. Okay, since Oakdale was a city cemetery that our taxes were paying for, but we could not be buried in. Mm -hmm. So uh, they said, okay, y'all, you can no longer have this cemetery segregated. So the city got slick. First thing they said, well, we ain't got no more lots in Oakdale. Then they went across the street and they opened up Riverdale uh -huh. for all the black folks. Mm -hmm. Then, then they were telling us that all the all the plots and, and all the plots that was in Oakdale were then sold. Then you had people come along like like Bartow Powell and the King family. They said, "Wait a minute!" They found out that all those lots in Oakdale were not sold. Mm -hmm. They were just telling us that so they wouldn't have to sell them. Okay. The King family was one of them. Clement King, he found it out. They got a big family plot out there. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, a man that stays 
right up the street from you, who I was going to mention. But anyway, he's buried out there. Uh, Pones Asian Society, Archie Lee Pones, he's buried out there mm -hmm. in Riverdale. Now, the Pones, um, you, you, you mentioned them a few minutes ago. That is a very, very interesting mm -hmm. story that goes so far. And uh, it, it, the reverberations from that is, is just like a drumbeat. So tell our listeners about the, the story of the Pones and you getting involved with restoring the, uh, the cemetery and all that. Archie Lee Pones was a, uh, he, was, he was a black man, came out of South Carolina. And this is something that you, I discovered this after, after since I've, 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 uh, talked, I've talked to you down here. He comes from a family that has been freed since the War of 1812. Mm -hmm. His ancestor was, was a great, 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 whatever, his name was Dave. He was a slave in South Carolina, and he was a, what they call a conscript. So when his master, instead of his master going to the War of 1812, they sent him. If you survive and come back, you have your freedom. Yeah. So he, he went and fought the war 1812. He came back and they gave him his freedom. And he stayed right the same, Gladstone County, South Carolina, all the way up until his great, great, great grandson, Archer Lee Holmes, a family of educated black people. Mm -hmm. And Archer Lee Holmes, him, his mother, and his mother's brother came down to Albany. And, and, and basically started uh, Paul's Asian Cemetery. Now, this, now this story gets even bigger. I, the story, it, it, story gets like this, I gotta try to stay like this. Right. But uh, he came down here, I think, because of the influence of W.E. Du Bois, mm -hmm. who influenced J.W. Holly. What are the odds of a man like Archie Lee Pong coming all the way down south to Albany, Georgia, right. and build a cemetery right next to a right next to the school that a black man started down here. Right. Their hometowns were less than 100 miles apart. I think they came out influenced by W.E. Du Bois and here. But anyway, so... And Joseph Arthur, Holly, the, the, the founder of Albany State of College. Albany. There's even connections between the two of those, which that's another story. But when he got down here, one of the things he did was he started an aiding society. Aiding society was a group of people that got together to help black people. Well, black people that got together. Not just about every little town had one. And and the big cities as well, didn't they? Yeah, New York. the big cities as well. Yeah. But they were more, they were very important to a small place like Albany. Absolutely. And so actually Holmes uh Aiden Society, it was actually fraternal order. Holmes Aiden Society Inc. And he started a fraternal order. Mm -hmm. And part of the things was to assist the ex-slaves. And uh, they, they, it was, you, you were a dues-paying member. Mm -hmm. And they would take that money they collected, and they would hire doctors and dentists mm -hmm. and whatever help black people need. Mm -hmm. And one of the things they saw was, was needed was black people didn't have anywhere to be buried at. Now, back then, you got to remember that the, that the city limits was the Flint River. So he was actually in the county. Okay. Yes, you started in the county. Uh -huh. And so he was able to start a cemetery right there. Mm -hmm. and, and he sold the plots. You can get like an insurance. Uh, he sold the plots. Up the street from him was a file of mortuary. So you can get your little package here. Mm -hmm. File, file would make the film, would make the casket. Uh, a file of mortuary would take care of the body. And then Pones would sell you the plot. Okay. So black people staying in Albany had a place to be buried. And uh, and and so so that's how and 
the bigger picture I just happened to mention was that ASU, Paul's Aiden Silas Cemetery, and Union Baptist Church were working together. Mm-hmm. Because of them, you know what College Street is? Yes. They should be called Hazard Street. I remember that. That's yes. the, that's what they. What, that's that Albany State. That's a, mm-hmm. that's a street that went straight down the middle of Albany State yep. when it was a college. Now it's a university. And Hazard was the elementary school that um, that went along with the college. Mm-hmm. That was sort of a, an, a, an addendum to the college. Yeah. Now Hazard actually was a philanthropist that 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 that, that uh, got together. Hazard and Caroline came up with the money. Two thousand dollars for J well, for JW wanted to come down and start the school. Uh huh. That's what so, they have so, come so, from. And that's where the Caroline Hall. Caroline Hall. At all, okay, the, which was the um, fine arts building, right? Okay, okay. I, I'm, I'm not sure that, but yeah, the school they're named after her, and then has a name after the family. That's she right. was a she was a principal of she was a, at one point in time she was a director. I can't think of what that school was of a female school up north. Mm-hmm. And so she she gave up. She swiped. She she gave money, and so they had. But but because of the three of those institutions, ASU well ASU now but it was called something else right then. Union Baptist Church and Palms Asian Side Cemetery, they were responsible for Albany's first middle class neighborhood and business district. Mm-hmm. If you're coming down, if you're on Broad, you cross the bridge and you take a right onto on the College Street. This was you got to remember Broad Avenue wasn't there. I mean, Oglethorpe wasn't there, the bridge wasn't there, so that, that was Cotter Street all the way there. Oh, okay. Right on that corner, you have Fowler Casket Makers. The next two, I got an old, a old uh, city dictionary uh, director, mm-hmm. and it tells me every store they had from that corner on, and the, and the, and the, the houses that Holly had built for the teachers. You remember when W. Du Bois talked about Auburn, he talked about the deplorable living conditions. Yes. Well, Holly could not ask a professional teacher to come down and stay in some shanty. Mm-hmm. So they built these nice houses. Then middle, middle the, the well-to-do black people, they started to build houses down there. Mm-hmm. And so because of ASU, Holmes Aiden South Cemetery, and Union Baptist Church, we have all but these first emergence of African-American middle class. Right. So you're talking about uh, Du Bois' is writing in the souls of black souls folks. Souls of black folks. He talked J.W. Winthrop directly says that was his influence. Well, actually, he was Winthrop was a very unique man because he was a follower of, of Booker T. Washington and W. Du Bois. Mm-hmm. If you step back and look at his philosophy there, yeah. you see branches of both of his. Yes. You know, he, mm-hmm. he stressed higher education and farm work. Mm-hmm. He combined the two. That's that. That's a, he's a, I think it was the normal school. Was that the original yes, name? Uh, yeah, uh, Georgia. I mean, Georgia normal agricultural and normal yeah. or something for that. Actually, effect. it started. I just it was just normal at first. Okay. And then as he added parts to the to the school, uh, 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 the name expanded. Mm-hmm. I ran across another nugget here. That was not the first black school in all minute. You mean you mean post secondary? Period. So what was? What was the first? That was a school here. It was, it was started by the American Missionary Association. Mm-hmm. Now, and this is this, to me, this is why they, they just dissolved it. That organization still exists today. This is why when they came here, they were just rolled out of history. When J.W. Holly came here, he came here and he worked in conjunction with the whites. Mm-hmm. 
the original site that he purchased was on North Slappy. Okay. And the white folks were like, oh no. <laughs> oh no. So this was his second spot. Mm -hmm. Because he was dealing with them. The American Missionaries Association came in with their own money. It was like a conglomeration of churches. Put all the money and could go down there and educate the blacks. By the time D.W. Holly came here, that uh, the Albany Missionary Association School had two and a half acres, a couple hundred students. They had a little, a little campus. Mm -hmm. Now, once and this is this is this is how I see it. Once J. Holly, J.W. Holly got here, started the school. AMA said, "Okay, now we can go to somewhere else because they got a school got started it. here." Well, did they? Did he establish it? Was it at the same location? They open no no they overlap. This school, I'm still trying to track. I found it on an old map, but the street names is different. So I'm having to dig through back from we're talking about 1890 something. Mm -hmm. So I'm having to back up. I saw the little map. Albany, it's it's got colored school. It's over in the area. Well, not far from here. The the district, Gordon. Oh, Lincoln, it was in that area. Uh -huh. It's an old map, and I'm trying to back up okay. to where it was, to, so what the street is named today. Mm -hmm. And um, how do you find out the, the street name changes? How do you get that information? Map, 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 map. Streets sustain, streets remain the same, but the names change. Uh -huh. You know, uh, Whitney was one called one time called South. Mm -hmm. South Street. South Street. We had a South Street. And you, you just got to back up. You go to the oldest map. The street, if the streets remain the same, and fortunately, both of these streets remain the same. And you got to go back in there. At some point in the year, the street name is going to change. And where are those maps located? I, I get them through the computer. Okay. Google them. You just Google it. Yeah. Well, so you're not necessarily going to an Albany, Georgia website <clears throat> and looking through that or looking through those big giant old books at the courthouse. Uh, no, you don't have to. Courthouse. It's a quarter to it. Sometimes you have to, because it, that's what I said earlier. Google is only a fraction of what's in the library. Mm -hmm. So if you just like like the like the directors I'm telling you about, somebody went and got some directors and put them. The most of the directors is not on on the computer. I'll still have to go downtown and go to the old directors. Same thing with maps. All the maps are not there. So if I'm looking at a map from 1820, 1830, and then jump to 1850, 1860, more than likely they're down there somewhere. Okay. You just got to go look at them. Do you do any uh, genealogy workshops? I have done some genealogy workshops. Um, I was uh, I used to support when we had it, before they rebuilt the library. I, I would support the genealogy department now. I would go to all the all their uh, all their uh, classes and everything. And I was headed out of town one day, and uh, I had to stop by the library to do something. On the way out, they had a thing said, African-American genealogy class. I'm like, oh, they done went and hired somebody to come in. I'm kind of, I was, I, this got to be good. And I was kind of upset too, but I'm mm -hmm. like, okay, no problem. They done hired somebody, okay. So I guess in there, I'm like, okay, I'm looking for this black dude. They done hired to come <laughs> in, and, you know. I go, okay, well, maybe the dude is white, you know, looking around and, and then the girl comes in. I'm like, well, where's your lecturer? Oh, oh, I'm the lecturer. This is somebody that I don't talk everything she knows oh, about wow. genealogy, about African-American. In fact, in her presentation, her part about the presentation of African-American genealogy had a picture of poems on it. Oh, when was this? It's been a couple years ago. 
Just a couple of years ago. Actually, she's gone now. The, the, the lady who was there before the lady that's there now. She did a presentation on African American history, on African American genealogy, and then I was upset. I was pissed off. I'm like, you know, why, why did you do on, this? Yeah. The much time I spent talking to you. And then she went on the internet and downloaded the picture of poems. Oh, man. I'm like, okay. I mean, once you put on there, it's not yours anymore. But I was kind of insulted. Then another thing happened. I was at Toronto, and this dude from ABAC came. He, he, he does cemeteries. So he wanted to do a presentation about cemeteries. So he comes in here, and uh, I, I went to the program. I'm sitting up at his program. That was a picture of poems. Wow. He didn't get off the internet, but he went over there and took a picture of it. So we're sitting there talking, and I said, everything. he said, you must be Michael Harper. I looked at him like, yeah. <laughs> and he says, I'm, uh, I forget the first name. His last name was Phillips. He said, well, yeah, I've, uh, I've, I've heard of you. So he's been following me and, and the development of the cemetery and used that as part of his presentation. How he thought he was going to come here. And break. I guess he thought maybe I didn't go to Frontisco. Right. So I'm sitting there like, it was very awkward. I know. I, no. It had to be. Gonna, because you went ahead and, and, and began, once you found that cemetery, you started a restoration process. Oh, yeah. That's the name of it. It's called Poems Aiding Society, Poems Aiding Society Cemetery, a restoration project. And basically what I did, after I did some investigation, I had to get permission first of the people who own the cemetery. Then I started to ask volunteer groups to come and help me on the cemetery. Mm-hmm. Actually, I'm getting ready to start one now because it takes about three to four good cleanings a year to keep that place mm -hmm. uh, 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 to keep that place up. But I do have another story I want to tell you about poems. Okay, it involves some of your people. Oh yeah. So I'm 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 up here doing stuff about poems, and my friend Tenor, yeah, went to Philadelphia to do a. This is what I'm talking about: the drum beat. The drum beat, she went to Philadelphia to do a um, to do a uh, a spoken word thing. Yes, sir. So she met another lady up there. I guess they they, they, they kind of liked each other's uh, uh, music. I mean, spoken word presentation. So she's there talking, and she said, "Well, I'm I'm from I'm from uh, I'm from Albany, Georgia." And the girls said, "Well, you know, Albany, Georgia. One of my ancestors had started a grave, had started a cemetery in Albany, Georgia. We don't know nothing about it." And to know it's like. What? Right. This is Tenor right got, after. This is like Tenor is my daughter. This was right after you had given her this information. In fact, we had done a couple of volunteer uh, mm -hmm. sessions at the at the uh, cemetery, yep. helping to get it cleaned up. And then she bumps into somebody in Philadelphia who uh, is a member of the Pone family. That is just mm -hmm. amazing. So I made that connection, and because of that connection, I'm out of all the world. Because mm -hmm. of that connection. I was able to meet one of Archer Lee Pone's brother's descendants. Is is that her her aunt and uncle? Or his? Well, uh, yes, uh, and but I don't even know that they know each other because the trees had got kind of separated. Mm -hmm. But the two people, and I know them; they stay in Atlanta. They were two. They were two doctors. Uh, he still has a name, Pone's, and uh, he was a. He's a retired doctor from New York, a medical doctor, and she's a philosophical doctor. But he has, he has a, uh, um, 
cerebral palsy. Yes. Yes. But he was a doctor in New York for 30 years. He was. He was. That's amazing. He was. And so then they decided to move down here. And uh, how did I meet them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, the lady that Tenura met, met was, telling, was talking to her mama. Mm -hmm. And she said, Albany. She said, well, I don't know where Albany is, but your aunt such and such is moving to Atlanta. So right. then the word got from Tenura to her friend, to her friend's aunt, to pose <laughs> them, and then they contacted me down here, and we met, we met her several times. And uh and then and then since then I was able to give him the full uh scope of, of, of mm -hmm. his family tree. And that's that's a wonderful story. Oh, I mean <laughs> and it's still going. It's still mm -hmm. going because you know he, he's written a book together. Uh, he and his wife wrote a book, mm -hmm. and uh, there are going to be some more developments, you know, in that book because he's telling the story of what it was like for him to grow up with cerebral palsy and mm -hmm. to and he had a really really strong family circle, um, and they had some some means. They mm -hmm. were a family of means as well, so that so that really cushioned the blow, and he was surrounded with uh, doctors, and it was just it became a thing of you know I'm going to do what the other mm -hmm. folks around me do and so he didn't grow up with a sense of disability he grew up with a sense of ability mm -hmm. and he he carried it out and uh so that's uh and and the fact that he came from a organ from a family that started an aiding society you know to mm -hmm. to help people who um who needed help you know and he was in that situation as well do you think that and, and uh, this is something that's going through through my mind oh, um, oh, oh, listen, well, I, I you gotta say, say that you gotta say something it was so powerful me and him i got the pictures we were at the cemetery mm -hmm. and uh we, we, he was like oh man you just you don't you just don't know this cemetery had always been a story in their family yeah he was like, oh, you just, he said, no, he's not buried. He said, man, that, that, that's good because, you know, uh, I know he started this. Later on, I found out where Archie Lee Pons was buried at. Mm -mm -mm. And as powerful as we thought that one was, mm. I said, man, you need to come back down. And he said, well, I said, we just need to come back down. So he came back down, and I took him to where Archie Lee Pons, his mother, his daddy, and what? his brother was buried at. They buried here in Albany at Riverside. Oh. Now, when Archie Pong's mother and daddy died, he he, he pulled them over to to to, uh, to Riverside. Then, when his uncle died, he pulled him over there. Then, when he died, he had himself buried over there. When you say pull them, he they in, moved in their turn, bodies from the Pong Cemetery over to Riverside. To Riverside. His mother, his daddy, and him. But when he died, he had himself buried in Riverside. But I'm gonna tell you one more thing. Okay. I remember him. From when? He died in 1970. He had a store I in the 700 now, block. Yeah. Of of corn. No, of uh, of Jefferson. Jefferson right around the corner, corn. corn. Yeah. Jefferson at corn. And I I grew up in Carlton Park, and I would come down to Harlem. His store was the middle point. Would you go in there and get an Ike and Mike and an orange drink? Mm -hmm. Go on mm -hmm. to Harlem. Mm -hmm. little, little small, light-skinned dude. By then, he was an older dude. Little dingy store, one light, two lights coming from the <laughs> ceiling like that. 
And but what are the odds? What are the later odds? on in life. What are the odds? Well, let me tell you about that corner. It was also not far from Cherry, mm-hmm. which is where my grandparents had their home. And that corner was that the the pawn store was mm-hmm. catacorner from my grandparents' house. Okay. And uh, one of my grandmother's best friends lived right over there. And so it was a, it was a little traffic mm-hmm. place for them because she would visit her friend and, and they would visit each other and she would spend, she would, you know, spend some of her time away from home, uh, sitting down having um, uh, lemonade and, and uh, pound cake with mm-hmm. her friend. Uh, she called her uh, Hawkins. That was her last okay. name. She called her by her last name, which was, a, you know, how their friendship worked. And um, she made one of the best pound cakes you mm. ever tasted in the whole wide world. And so, so that was my connection. So when, when you said Pones, I had, a, had that vague memory of mm. the Pones store being right there and um, being part of my childhood. And see, his, his, his section of the family died in Auburn. His last one died, she was like Barbara. Her last name was not Pones. Uh, Pones had one daughter. And that daughter had a daughter, and she was served in the Navy, and she died. So that family died out in Albany. Mm-hmm. That, that branch. That branch died out in Albany. Oh, his granddaughter never had any children. She served in the military in the Air Force, and when she passed, that branch died out in Albany. But he had all the rest of the, the poem branches. And they and now, but now they know how to, you know, they how know to close that. And he came down. And uh, we were standing out there in the cemetery, and uh, he was just, he had, he laid his head on, he was just, you know, and his wife let us have that moment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, he just leaned against me. He was like, and I could just feel the relief. Relief he had, like, you know. <sighs> wow. And I felt, I felt like, I'm glad I'm here. Yes. In this sense moment. That. And he's like, oh man, all the world. And then here it is right here. The culmination of a myth, of a legend in his family. Now he was able to go back and tell his family and, and to answer that question that's been in their family for years. That is so powerful. You know, and we, we still, we call every now and then, you know, uh, just, to, just to catch up and see how everybody's going. And uh, so, you know, it's, and, and so that's our poem was just, intertwined from me and I had seen that cemetery, I had seen that lot even when I went to ASU I never I never went up there and for I don't know why that one day I was coming down and I'm like what is this lot here why is this lot in the middle why all of a sudden did nothing this lot and for some reason I parked across the street got my big butt out the car walked up that little <laughs> hill and I'm like this is a cemetery yes and then to me and him standing there on his great 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 uncle's grave. That's incredible. So so the 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 contribution that you've made to Albany, Georgia history is just um phenomenal. Thank you. And so thank you. Thank you. We really that's and, and you're still making those contributions because go to your Facebook page, your Facebook feed is like I don't know. It's like a mashup of world world affairs. It's amazing. You have posts from all over the place in there. When do you have the time to to pull all this stuff together? 
it's 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 in the. You process. gotta be reading all the time. Yeah, I read all the time. I got two three books in there. Uh, if if I'm if I'm in the house, I'm doing something. Okay, let me take a break. My break is in front of that computer. <laughs> I might only be there five or 10 minutes, then I'm going back to what I'm doing, you know. Mm -hmm. I get up in the morning time, I do my stretching exercises, I hit the computer a little bit, I do a little, so I'm always, I, I watch very, very, very little TV. I'm either on the computer researching, I'm reading, I'm doing something in the community. Mm -hmm. But that's what brings me happiness. Yes, sir. You know, I was, I was looking at some of these uh, community, um, associations that you have. Tell me about the Southwest Georgia Historical and Cemetery Preservation. What I ended up having to do, what I'm in the process now of, of, of developing my LLC and maybe later on a, a 501c3, but right, for right now I have access to a 501c3 so I can get grants. Mm -hmm. uh, but what I had to do was look at everything that I did and develop, it, it ended up being developed in, in, into, into two parts. Uh, one was the um, Southwest Georgia, African-American, African-American, Southwest Georgia, Jeannie Lott, wait a minute, Southwest Georgia, Historical and Cemetery Preservation, okay? Mm -hmm. That allowed me to deal with things, not just Albany, but Southwest Georgia. Mm -hmm. uh, historical events and subjects, uh, things about Southwest Georgia, things about America, and things about Africa. Mm -hmm. from a historical standpoint of view. Uh, I have ancestral care. It's grave visitations, ornament, pictures. Okay, you used to go and uh, every year and go to your mother's grave. Yes. Okay. And then you moved mm -hmm. to California. Right. Oh, I still want to go to my mom's grave. Give me a call at what price? I go to your mother's grave and do the maintenance. I put a flower, I put a maintenance, whatever mm -hmm. you want. I mm -hmm. take a picture and I send it to you. Oh, that's beautiful. That's so lovely. you can still get that done even though you're not here. Yes, sir. Let's say I have another service where I clean off headstones. Okay. I went and got training. Most headstones in the South are what we call soapstone. Mm. That's why they went. Uh, 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 it's not granite, so like right. That. So it's very porous. Very porous, and eventually it's going to filter away. So that's a special way to clean it without damaging it. Mm -hmm. So when it took that course, I I can come and clean the. It, a lot of those soaps on heads you can't read because it's overgrowth on it. Yeah, I clean that. Uh, I have a service. I can go. Let's say you got you got the slab and you got the headstone. I got a process I can use. I put a gravel pit around it. So even even if the weeds around it aren't cut down, they won't grow over those gravels. Mm -hmm. And it's like I put a little pencil around the thing. Right. So so that falls up under that. And then my genealogy work falls. All this falls up under Southwest Georgia Historical Cemetery Preservation Society. Okay. Everything does history. Wonderful. My other organization is called African American Historical Society. That covers my storytelling. I do slave interpretations. When I was in Charlotte, North Carolina for 10 years, I worked with uh, uh, McConnell, McConnell Plantation. Mm -hmm. That was slave plantation up there. That's the plantation. Uh, but it, it was slave. And what we did, we I immersed myself into, uh, you ever heard a book called Bullwhip Days? No, sir. During the Depression, the government made jobs for people. They made jobs for white writers. And someone had the idea, you know what? There's a section of these people in the country that are dying. 
that has an experience as nowhere else in the world, and that was ex-slaves. Mm -hmm. So he had authors, African authors, go down and white and interview slaves. All of that interviews were sent to Smithsonian Institute, and they set them, they set on them for fifty or seventy years. Mm -hmm. Then they shared them with it was the workers, the workers program, is what they call it. And so they set on that information about after about fifty or sixty years. Then they started let people come. And, and review that information. One of the books that came out of it, one of the first books that came out of it was called Bull Whip Days. And it was the actual words of those slaves. Mm -hmm. And so what I did, I got into that book, I immersed myself into those narratives to what I was trying to make myself feel like a slave mm -hmm. through their words. Mm -hmm. And so what I would do during these uh, uh, the, 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 the celebrations they had at these, at these plantations, McCollum, South Carolina. I did, I did, I've been to Winston-Salem, I've been to uh, Jefferson Place, Monticello, uh, and I interpret, reinterpret slaves according to the words that they used. Beautiful. You know, so that, again, that's history. So I did the slave interpretations in the word of the said I do history of slavery in the Western Hemisphere because we have a thing, we have a tendency to think the slaves started in the United States. Right. It started in the 1500s in Brazil. Came on, so really, American slavery was the child of mm. slavery. It was the youngest slave in the Western Hemisphere. Mm -hmm. uh, I do libation ceremonies, where I invoke the spirit of the ancestors to bless our endeavors in life. It's like I say that that goes back to our ancestors. Yes. They might not be the ancestors. I might be talking about my granddad or my grandma. Mm -hmm. uh, I have Shante traditional Afro artifact collection that I display and lecture with. Um, I do PowerPoint presentations with them. I do African drumming that we talked about earlier, and I do drum circle facilitating. Under these two things, basically what happened to me is this. I've spent my life doing what, doing what uh, I did. You had to work for a living, stuff like that. So now that I'm retired and stuff, I have to come up with another, so, not source of income because I still got some, some residuals from my more active days. But I think I took the things that I love mm -hmm. and turned them into a way of life. Beautiful. Yes, sir. And plus if I can make a little money off it, that's cool too. Right. But the part of part is sharing, the sharing of the information. You can know everything in the world you can know everything that God ever meant man or woman to know in the world. But it's useless unless you share it with at least one person because they don't want you don't want to know you know everything. Right. Right. And, so and you and you never know where that what what that seed is gonna grow into. Because that, exactly. that that seed produces so many other seeds. Mm -hmm. One person produces so many other seeds, just just as, you know, an acorn is gonna grow up a tree that produces endless mm -hmm. acorns. My, my uncle shine your uncle shine yes sir my uncle shine what is name mckinney who, uncle shine who, who nourished on, on one of the acorns and yes, fell off sir. his tree yeah and and look how many trees that you're nourishing now so it's um it's a phenomenal thing i and and i appreciate it you you kind of like the the you can be the poster child for blood and spirit you know <laughs> <laughs> because and, you really and, and one of the things is that we talked earlier about being able to go on the, on the internet and Google stuff. And then the stuff on the internet is only a small fraction of what's actually in the library. Well, 
things about us is even a smaller fraction. Yes, sir. That's why we cannot leave the library because the majority of the stuff about us is not in Google. It's still in the library. And you know what they say about us in books. Well, um, we got the, they we say got a lot the, of things about us. And, and part of the thing oh. that, I w you know, that we are doing mm -hmm. is changing the narrative yeah. about, about, because there's so much uh, strength, power, intelligence, and beauty mm -hmm. in our community that, um, that we don't say about us. And that we want to want to get into the habit of saying was, that about us. I was talking to a lady the other day. She told me how young lady, 23, 24 years old, and she likes, you know, what to do. I said, well, yeah, all we ain't got nothing. I said, yes, they do. I said, look at the library. Get your library card. Make that a make that a family function. Two, three times a month. Go to the, all y'all go to the library together. Pick out books. Read that book. Have a book report. Sue got to get a book report to everybody else. Make the library a central part of your family activity. Mm -hmm. It increases your children's reading. They always, they always say the school, two things they're doing I don't like. They, they took cursive writing out, but they don't rely enough on books. Everything right. is here and everything right. is not on there. We need to take libraries and books and make them a part of our life. We pay taxes for the library. Yes. Go ahead on and use it. Mm -hmm. You know, take the kids there. Take mom and dad there. And they enjoy it. They, they enjoy, enjoy it. love libraries. Just like I was exposed to mechanical encyclopedias growing up. Mm -hmm. My children, my grandchildren, they go to the house and like, oh, Lord, here come granddaddy. They went to put their little tough holes down. But <laughs> when granddaddy here, all the little eat, the look, the look, the watch thing, right, all right. that's got to go. <laughs> all that. But what is such a, well, tell them to call me and I'll be connected. We go to libraries, all we care about. I'm always out on the lot, on outlook for books for them. Mm -hmm. And then I ask them, I bribe them. Give me a book report, $5. <laughs> Give me a book report, $5. So they grew up not like I was, but, you know, they got the motivation to do it. Yes. You yes. Know, so, you know, I wanted to ask you, you know, we're exploring um, Albany family culture in this first uh, season of Blood and Spirit. So I wanted to ask about, you know, your family culture. And you're, you're giving me some of those uh, glimpses into your family life like that and, and how, where that came from. You know, from your from your uncle, from your dad, and how'd your mom figure into your whole into the you know learning actually, process of your home? Actually, um, my mother was the the spiritual, the personal motivation, and my daddy was the the history part of it. My mm -hmm. mother, from my mother, I got the willingness to share the love that the, the love you get from sharing that came from my mother. Mm -hmm. Like I said, she always had these little, these little sayings that she used to do. I guess that was my first stories were her little sayings that she used to throw around all the time. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so she was there and like, you know, being from a male dominated society, they will elevate the, the women to the second role. But in our family, my mother structurally wasn't too much larger than you. Okay. But she swung more weight than everybody else. <laughs> you know, she she probably had a more influence on all of it than my father because mama shared. Mm -hmm. You had to ask daddy. Okay. So you had to ask daddy. You got the pride out of him. Mm -hmm. But mama just shared. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And she motivated me to even though daddy, not just daddy, but people clamp down, keep on anyway. Mm-hmm. You know, keep on be, to persevere and, and 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 put up with people. Uh if it don't come out the way you want to, don't worry about it. You do it again. You know, she I got that tough skin from her. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people don't respect what I do, or they don't accept what I do, but they'll listen to it. And you know, you, you get you get knocked on the head a lot of time, but you got to come on back. I got that tough skin from my mother, mm-hmm. the smallest thing in the family. <laughs> uh, uh, but again, because of society that we talk to, I'm just thinking about it now. Most of my conversation was centered around my daddy, but the foundation comes from mom. You know, daddy had a, a my in my upbringing, my father had a very limited role in my upbringing. Mm-hmm. Mama the, was the one because, like I said, he was in the military. Uh, mama would raise us, and then at the end of the day, she would be dealing with us all day. And when daddy come home, mama would give out whipping assignments. <laughs> daddy was a disciplinarian. Daddy didn't care what. Well, if your mama said you need a whooping, you're going to get it. <laughs> he didn't even deal with the details. No, you know, they were, my brothers had, my brothers had eight pe- peanuts in the, uh, it was eating peanuts in the tub, put shells in the tub. Mama said, get them peanuts out there. Said, they didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Young, I'm going to get your daddy. Daddy come home. They ain't trying to get the peanuts. You know, so, so, so mama gave a whooping assignment. They wouldn't give me none of the peanuts. So I'm at the end of the hall telling daddy. Daddy go, daddy, daddy go. Daddy come down. He don't, he, he don't work 10, 12 hours. He come down the hall. He just snatched up. The first thing he saw was me. Oh, snatched God. me up and started whooping. Mama in the kitchen. She, your mama's know all they children. Right. She's like, that's the wrong yelping. Also, you got the wrong one. She come, she turned that corner, and Daddy got a few more strokes in, oh, and then they Lord. went to laughing about it. And I, the only thing I can say was, you ain't, my brothers never got their whooping. Get out. They never got their whooping. Everybody was laughing about trying to rub my head and oh, rub my, my butt. Y'all need to go in there and whoop them. That would make um, me feel better. So that that turned into a whole family memory. Yep, yep. yep. One, more, one more, one more, one more, <laughs> one more. Finally, as I got older, my brothers, my two older brothers, that was ten years between me and my and my, and my young brother, my oldest boy. I got two older brothers. Twelve years between me and Bobby. Ten years between me and Eli, and then it was ten years. And so they finally let me hang with them a little bit, and we had did something wrong. You look up, man. Don't mind. Don't don't, don't tell daddy. Everything will be okay. Right. Everything will be okay. I'm like, he let me get me part of it. So I'm like, all right. I knew they did it. I didn't do what they did, but I knew they right. did. I'm gonna hang with them. Mama got home. Then we don't nobody know that. Nobody know that. Daddy got home. Told mama about it. We sitting there in the den. Daddy come in the house there. He went past us. At the end of the closet was a, was another little closet. At the end of the hallway was a closet. Mm-hmm. He kept suitcases there. Got two cases. He went in our room, heard the drawers open, came back through the den, went out the front door, came back without a suitcase. He said, Mash y'all one more time. Anybody know that? Anybody know right. that? <laughs> Dad said, Get out of my house. I said, what? Oh, my. He said, Get out of my house. Oh, Walked us to the front door, <gasps> closed the door. Oh, and he said, you, you can't talk to me. You chose them <laughs> over me. Get out of my house. I'm like, Whoa. 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 Time out. Time out. <laughs> You mean that if I go with them, ain't no more food, ain't no more house, ain't no more nothing. I told, I told on them so oh quick. My goodness. I went back three or four years telling on them. Three or four years telling on them. 
dad, dad, daddy, you know, I don't know him mama oh came up that trick goodness. together, but that's what he did. Put, wow. And we 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 uh, we just knew all our clothes. I don't say you wanna hang with them? Oh my. Wow. That, that's like talk about family culture. Whipping assignments, that's a whole brand new one. I oh, have not yeah. heard that one before. And uh and you gotta go. Got you gonna lie? You gotta go. You you're wrong with your brothers? Go with them. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. No Hold food, up. no clothes, no nothing. Y'all in trouble, man. Not only did they do that, but you remember that thing I broke? They did that too. Oh they did goodness. that too. I, I read them so are these some of the same values that you, you have passed on to your daughter and now your grandchildren? Because mm -hmm. um, she's your, you just have this one daughter, correct? No. I have a daughter that's in Strange, that's estranged. I don't mm -hmm. know what the issue is. Uh, I, I Once I find out about her, I reach my hand out, and it's like every, I don't know, every such, such year she goes through this change. You mm -hmm. know, separation of the family. Right now, we're, we're, we're separated. When, when I found out about her, she was about 16, 17 years old. Oh, man. And so I introduced her to my family, and she never really gelled in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, over the years, she's been in and out of it. So right now, it's an out thing for like, I've really talked to her about five or six years. I don't know if the grandkids on that end, but there's only so much I can do. I don't, you don't want to force that on people. Right. And I don't want them to say, well, you know, the fact that they're not in contact with me has to be through their mother. And mm -hmm. I don't want them to choose their mother over, grand, you know, go against, go against mama to talk to granddad. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't split that family up that way. Exactly. So I'm just here, I'm sitting there today waiting on to hear from them. Well, these are some of the issues that we want to help help people resolve too, because yes. they get the best uh, benefit possible for my families. Mm -hmm. So we'll be bringing in some experts to uh, in family relationships, family dynamics, uh, just human relationships, uh, to help us figure out ways to get through some of those issues. Mm -hmm. You know, so. Um, that's part of the, that's part of the picture. So what are, what are some of the things that you want to leave, uh, your family with? What, are, what is, what's the legacy that you want to leave for your family? In addition to all the, all the information, all the data, all the stories, uh, that you've collected, what else is there, included? There are things in life, uh, in this country, let's say colleges. When colleges started being formed out west, the government gave land to people to start white colleges. Just gave they gave them a leg up. Mm -hmm. They gave them so they didn't have to start from ground zero. Uh, uh, in Albany, Georgia, if, if a white person got out of high school, if any job he went to, he if that was a black person, he was going to be their supervisor. Mm -hmm. They have a leg up. So I want my children to have that leg up. We are wage earners. You never got rich working by the hour. Mm -hmm. Not you enough never hours got rich working by the hour. So I, I'm trying to teach them about being business owners. Control what it is that you do. Someone can come behind me and take this and make more money than I ever thought about making. You know, and, and my, my what I want to pass to them is like me and my brother, we got a little thing going on. Hopefully uh, someone else will take it you know, after us. B, I hate to say it's about money. It's not really about money. It's about being self-dependent. Mm -hmm. But being self-dependent means you don't worry about the bills. That money is coming in. If you have a source of income, that is, nothing is guaranteed. 
a reliable source of income, that gives you the opportunity to, to grow in other directions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That gives you the opportunity to go. In, uh, in. When I stopped using drugs, I was working with Procter & Gamble. X percent of my money was going, just flowing out the door. Mm -hmm. Once I stopped, I was able to take that money and grow in other directions. Mm -hmm. So what, what, what the future direction, I want them to look at us and what we did and build on top of it. Don't just walk away. I don't like, don't, don't just walk away. Take what we have done and make something out of it. Mm -hmm. It might not be the direction that you want to go right now, but if you take what I've done and you utilize it, then it will give you some financial freedom that you can grow like right. you want to grow. Exactly. Whatever your special gifts are, your special thing that you want to do, at least you have a foundation from, mm -hmm. that can help to finance that. And then you can make sure that, that this gets managed as well. Yep. You can do you your thing, keep this managed. You, you, manage, you manage this, and then you can take, then that free your time up to develop who you want to be. Mm -hmm. So this has been just a fantastic, fantastic um, time of sharing with you. I'm so glad we had this time to sit together and just have just a couple more questions before we close out because uh, we are getting uh, close to the being out of time. And, you know, a lot of times we ask, um, you what, we kind of look backwards at uh, what, I, what we would have done had we known. Mm -hmm. I'd like you to look forward and tell me, um, what would you say, what advice would you give to your 90-year-old self? What advice would I give to my 90-year-old self? Oh, let me see now. That's a hard one. It'd be easy for my 90-year-old self to give me some advice. Because I don't know what advice would I give to my 90-year-old self. Can I reverse that? You want you want something from your 90-year-old yeah. yourself? Okay, go ahead. I should have stayed my butt in school. God school, I had two, three years of college. Well, wh who's your 90-year-old self talking to? Me. Well, from now now I'm talking to the 20-year-old. <laughs> talking to the 20 I'm, I'm gonna get up to them. I should have stayed in you should have stayed in school, should have stayed away from drugs. You should have I should have developed my my consciousness as a family earlier. Here today, I would tell my 60-year-old, 64-year-old self, take what you got and decide now what you want to do with it while you can. Mm -hmm. Because if I don't, African American Historical Association, my artifact collection, unless I do something with that, somebody might sell it for a couple hundred dollars mm -hmm. because they don't understand. I have five or 600 albums, mm. you know, I need to take that and do something with it. Mm -hmm. um, Curate all of that. I, I need to memorabilia and so it, uh, value. So it will not get lost, mm -hmm. you know, uh, because that's what other than the insurance policies, that's what I have left. And I don't want it to just disintegrate. One thing as a historian, one thing I do, I go to a lot of estate sales. Mm -hmm. And I would get stuff posted. I don't know what to do with it. And I could tell this person spent, I ran across a, a family, Monroe High School, 1923. Class ring. Oh. 
Wow. And and uh That's a male wedding wedding ring. Mm. And no, not, not 1923, 1963. Okay. He was born in 1923. Okay. 1963. And a male wedding ring. And I, I got it from like, I was I was doing doing the tornado. Anyway, I got it. I put it on you're throwing it away. I mean, you ain't going to go throw it away. So I got it. I went through it and I came through it. Was a couple of years later, I went back to her. And it was this lady's aunt. And I told her I had the rings. And she said, well, can I? I said, well, you can have my manual ladies at my house. And so I gave them back to her. And she gave me the 1923 ring back. Hmm. Because what I did, after I found out who she was, I went and did some investigation. She said, you know what, Mike? You know more about my aunt than I did. <laughs> So she said, I'm going to keep uh, my uncle's wedding ring. You keep the Monroe High School graduation ring. Very nice. Phenomenal woman. Very nice. She, she went out, she did everything. But then back to what was my 90-year-old. So I would tell myself, you know, right now, do something with what you got because now is the time that the people that I have in mind with my family, they need to have this now while I can tell them how I got it together and what my visions of it was mm -hmm. and they could take that and develop what their vision of it would be absolutely you so know. they don't have to go and do that same work all over again exactly exactly, exactly. You know. and uh, so one last question if you had absolute power such that anything that you say will happen what would you do to improve family culture in albany georgia It would be a law <laughs> that uh, everyone had to get that education. Couldn't have children. You was 25, 30 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, you'd be required to work. Oh, you, you only have one. Oh. <laughs> if you, with absolute power, you know, that, you know, you can, can't control everything. Okay. You got to have just one. that family would be the core of all of our existence. Mm. Everything that we do would come through family. Your job, your marriage, wow. your, your motivation, everything would come through family. Mm. Wow. You know, uh, everything would come through family. That's incredible. That's, that's some kind of uh, economic system. And we got to talk more um, about that. We got to, mm. we got to build that out unpack that well you have given us so much all of us are going to be on google googling the stuff that you said going down to the library finding out so many uh inf so much information about the tidbits that you dropped today and oh let me ask you this do you have um volunteer opportunities in either one of your organizations actually i will be asking volunteers in the next couple of weeks it's time for us to clean pawns up again okay and uh, ASU is getting ready to go out by May. Turner Job Course Center, they're getting in. So I'm trying to get a group of people together to come out there and work and do some work on the cemetery in the next two to three weeks. And are you gonna you gonna put that on your Facebook page? It's gonna be on my Facebook page, Pawns Age Inside the Cemetery. And it'll also show up on my Facebook page. Well, that is some good news. I'll be out there with a, a shovel and a, whatever I need, a rake. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I know we, we Moved a lot of branches, so that tornado left us a lot of stuff. Out there. Yeah, yeah we're, so. just, we're just lucky that 
uh, we didn't get as much damage as, as, as we did. Well, thank you again. Uh, really appreciate you. And that is going to do it for this episode of Blood and Spirit. Thank you, Brother Michael. All That's right. what it's about, Blood and Spirit.